From KGW News, this is Straight Talk with Laurel Porter. Hello and welcome to Stray Talk. I'm Laurel Porter. It's been six years since the city of Portland declared the homeless crisis an emergency. And today, when people look around and see the number of tents and unsanctioned camps, they only feel the situation has gotten worse, not better. Last month, the founders of the nonprofit social welfare organization, People for Portland, were here. They were guests on Stray Talk. They said the city and county haven't done enough, fast enough, to house people who are unsheltered. But the Joint Office of Homeless Services says progress is being made. In this episode of Straight Talk, we find out what city and county leaders are doing and how service providers are working to help end homelessness and helping to change lives. Welcome to my guests, Multnomah County Chair Deborah Kafori, Stacy Bork, Senior Director of Programs for Transition Projects, and Mercedes Elizalde, the Public Policy Director for Central City Concern. Both Mercedes and Stacy are also co-chairs of A Home for Everyone, a community-wide homelessness initiative which advises the Joint Office of Homeless Services. Thank you for joining us for Stray Talk. It's nice to have you all here. Thanks for having us. Uh, thank you. Looking forward to our discussion today. Well, let's start with Chair Kafori. As we head into the holidays, Chair, how would you describe the homeless situation in the Portland metro area right now? Well, I think what we're seeing is we're seeing a community that is reeling from the disruption of, of the pandemic and an out of control housing market for the last 10 years. Rents have kept rising, but paychecks and disability checks did not. And as a result, the people who have the fewest resources and the least amount of stability were hit and continue to be hit the hardest. But I am hopeful. I am hopeful that things are getting better. And Stacey Bork with Transition Projects. Transition Projects has been serving Portland's most vulnerable residents for 50 years. What are you seeing right now? How would you describe the conditions for the people you serve? Well, I think our folks that are accessing services are trying to survive and trying to figure out what's next for them. Our shelter beds are full across our community. We have outreach teams that are on the street every single day of the week, providing services and getting gear and helping folks figure out what's next, whether that's re-engaging in healthcare as a lot of folks have kind of stepped back from healthcare as we've been kind of going through this pandemic for the last couple of years and figuring out how do they reconnect to resources? How do they re-engage with their medical provider, their behavioral healthcare provider, and how do they get back into housing? Well, Central City Concern was founded in 1979, so it's been in the community for a long time, too. Mercedes, your organization serves more than 13,000 people experiencing or at risk of homelessness. Do you think things are getting better for them? You know, the acuity of need in our community continues to rise, and we continue to do the work necessary to adjust to the growing need and the changing needs in our community. Every day, people's lives are getting better. Folks are getting housed. We never stopped housing people through the pandemic. We've even opened new housing in the midst of all of this. Uh, but no matter what, we wanna make sure that we're continuing to show up for folks. Uh, what we're continuing to work on is how do we stop new experiences of homelessness happening in our community? 
Let's talk about uh, the number of shelter beds. There are 1,755 shelter spots right now with space to house up to 2,000 people. Last month, county and city leaders announced a $38 million plan to address the homeless crisis, and some of that money will be used to open another 400 shelter beds. And Commissioner Dan Ryan's Safe Rest Village plan is expected to eventually shelter up to 360 people a night. Chair Kafori, how many of those current 1,755 beds are being used every night? Well, probably uh, Stacy can answer that question um, more precisely than I can, but I will say um, it's my understanding that about at any, any given night, upwards of 90% of our shelter beds are um, are being utilized. Uh, Stacy, did you um, have a more accurate or more up-to-date number? Yeah, I think that makes, I think 90% and above makes a lot of sense. And part of what's important to understand and how people access shelter is where they're coming from. And oftentimes transitioning from the street into a shelter bed, it takes a minute for folks to be able to uh, gather up their belongings, identify what uh, transportation needs to get into shelter. And so having those beds available and reserved for folks so that that transition from the street or the camper they're staying directly into that bed can be as smooth and welcoming as possible. Well, Stacy, how many more shelter beds do you think the city and county need? Oh, that is a big question. Uh, I think that the important thing to recognize about shelter is that shelter is a critical part of a, of a crisis response system. The shelter does not end homelessness. Housing ends homelessness. And we need a diversity of options in immediate response, like shelter, like safe rest villages, and housing options. And that diversity of options needs to be just as diverse as the people who are accessing those services. And so having, having the resources to identify and address people's need to best figure out what is it that they need in this moment so that that transition back into housing is as smooth and as stable as it can be and that it's long-term for them. And Chair Kafori, it's not easy really to see when people transition off the streets into housing. People look and see all these people who are, are homeless. How many people have you been able to move into housing? Well, since the Joint Office was founded, um, we have housed thousands, thousands of families and individuals. And yes, those are the people who you don't see, the people who are uh, sleeping every night in their own bed with a roof over their heads. And their homeless is homelessness has in effect then ended and that's why we are continuing to work to get more and more people off the streets and into housing that actually will end their homelessness and as mercedes talked about um, we've spent a lot of, of efforts during the pandemic and still to this date with trying to get rent assistance to people to keep them in their homes so that we don't have even more people on the streets and the the millions of dollars that have been spent both at the state level and here locally around rent assistance, um, helping people stay in their homes, even during the pandemic when they couldn't afford to pay their rent. We, we don't see those folks on the streets, but they're still in their homes, which is a, a win, a big Mer win. Mercedes, help us understand what homeless services looks like and what it means to do the work out in the field. Um, you know, there are multiple pieces to this. I like to think about it in three ways. There's um, homelessness as a physical state where someone is sleeping that night. That's the piece we're trying to resolve with housing. It's the conditions that led to someone experiencing homelessness. Well, might be a myriad of individual factors around trauma, abuse, illness, 
And those things all have to be done in a unique way to support that person in staying housed and also finding that long-term permanent stability. And then there are the structural factors at play that result in our community increasingly having new experiences of homelessness. Today, some number of people will be released from jail and hospital out into homelessness. The reason that it's some number is because we're not tracking that in a way that's systematic across our state, and we're not sharing that information as a goal of not doing that. And we need to have that longer, that larger commitment from all of our partners that we don't release people into homelessness. We don't exit people from any kind of program, any kind of institution, and let them sleep out on the street. And until we get to that point, we'll continue to see those new experiences. But in those housing programs, it's where the magic happens, where you have your peer support specialist, someone who's been there walking alongside folks who are experiencing uh, stability for the first time. You're having the employment specialists who are telling people uh, that if they, they want a job, they can have that job. If they wanna go back to school, they can do that too. Where you have case managers who are helping people navigate what can oftentimes be a confusing system. It takes a community, right? This is a village. We're recreating uh, the family dynamic in many ways to support people in that stability. And we're doing that both before someone gets that key to that front door and afterwards too. Well, in spite of all the progress being made, all the work being done and the shelter beds we mentioned, people see a lot of folks still on the street and a lot of unsanctioned camps really, you know, all over the city. And one of the complaints the founders of People for Portland mentioned is they say a lot of Port Portlanders think that things are just taking too long. They criticize the emphasis placed on a long-term strategy and said it should be more urgent. Here's co-founder of People for Portland, Kevin Looper. I helped pass a $2.5 billion uh, homeless services uh, uh, measure through Metro, in which we promised that we were going to address the homeless crisis on the street. And the plans for that are all about a 10-year horizon, like I mentioned before. We don't have 10 years to, to reclaim the city that we love. We need to be doing things on a human scale, which means doing something to solve the problems tomorrow better than we did it today, and moving people off the street as fast as we possibly can. If this were a a flood, if this was a natural disaster, we would have solutions for people. Chair Kafori, what about what Looper said? Why aren't people being housed faster? What's your response? So I would just like to say that I, I reject the premise that we're not moving quickly and that things aren't happening quickly. Um, we have, um, we have expanded our shelter system um, to to be better, more welcoming, more opening. We've, we've extended the number of shelter beds in our community greatly. And we are putting the money from that measure to work right now. In this year, we will put 1,300 households into permanent housing. In addition to the new shelter beds that we're opening and creating, in addition to the safe rest villages that we've been talking about, we are going to put 1,300 families into housing, permanent housing, which as we've talked about, is actually going to end their housing and their homelessness. So we are moving quickly. Um, I think it's very easy to say that things should be more, moving more quickly. I don't think any of us would, would deny it. We, uh, we're, all, we're all frustrated with what's happening in our community right now. We're frustrated that rents are so high. We're frustrated that people are sleeping out on the streets. And there are a lot of people who are working really hard to ensure that as many people as possible, as quickly as possible, get off the streets and into housing. Kevin Looper ran your re-election campaign chair. What are your thoughts about him helping to start People for Portland and his criticisms? Well, 
I'll just be honest. I mean, he was paid to run that campaign, the supportive services measure campaign a couple of years ago, and he's getting paid to run this campaign right now. So he's he's a political consultant and he he'll go where the money is. Well, let's talk about uh, how part of the solution may also involve combating the area's drug crisis. There's been a nationwide influx of a dangerous version of meth that results in a more extreme high. It's marked by a higher degree of psychosis. It's also made its way to Portland. And we talked to a few men in recovery who are employed by Central City Concern, where Mercedes works, who told us about the dangers of the drug and how much Central City Concern means to them in their recovery. Let's listen. Like I said, it had me hearing people talking that was, wasn't even talking, but I could hear them in my head, and they were all cops. I sat in the park for three hours, afraid to move off a park bench, because I thought as soon as I got up and started walking that they were gonna get me. Three weeks ago, I found an eight ball of meth on the ground. Um, four or five days ago, I found uh, a 20 bag of heroin. I mean, it's, it's here. We walk down the street and people shoot up. When I see somebody in distress, somebody that's having a, a hard time, with being you know, addicted to drugs, being homeless, I tell them my story. I let them know, hey, you know, I was just like you because this company hires, this is a second chance company. They don't frown upon you being a drug addict or you being a, an ex-con or whatever. We, they give everybody a chance to get back into the workforce. That's why I love this company so much. I love my job. Stacy Mercedes, I want to talk to you about this a little bit. First, Stacy, how does drug addiction impact the work your outreach workers are trying to do? I think substance use among people experiencing homelessness is significant and it's real. And I think people are struggling and they are struggling with substance use and they're struggling with mental health and they're struggling with a lack, lack of access to get the care that they need. And when I think about the role our outreach team plays at transition projects, but outreach teams across this community, whether it's Central City Concern or it's JOIN, I think about the opportunity for peers, just like the person in the um, from, from Central City talked about his experience and how he can bring that to folks that are, that are uh, sleeping outside that he's engaging with in his work and provide provide a hand and provide a lifeline to someone who uh, that might be the moment for them when they want to do something different and they're ready to engage and someone's right there saying I will walk by your side. And Mercedes I want to bring you in and, and let you respond too and also I, I wanted to ask you what your opinion is of of the new behavioral health center that's underway constructions underway and that new center is designed to help people struggling with mental health issues and homelessness It's located at Southwest Park Avenue in Oak. What will having this new center mean to the work that you're doing? Absolutely. I mean, any more resources we can get into the behavioral health sector right now are incredibly needed. Um, you know, we've seen record investments from the legislature in the last legislative session into the behavioral health sector. Um, you know, at the same time, though, we've also seen the closure of many residential programs across the state of Oregon. We have seen a lot of programs struggle to keep their workforce at the level needed to even provide their base level services you know, not even talking about expansion. So seeing new both physical spaces being developed and new programs being developed and new funds coming into this system are absolutely critical to our ability to respond. I mean, I do wish that we could undo half a century of disinvestment in a matter of months, um, but we know it's gonna take long-term collaboration and a long-term commitment. Uh, we can't do small moves. We have to do lots of big moves together. 
And I'm really excited about the opportunity to continue to see more partners having spaces where they can collaborate together to meet those needs of folks. Yeah. Uh, you know, we are definitely seeing a lot of need in the community, but I would be remiss if I didn't also remind us that the number one driver of substance use disorder in Oregon is still alcohol. Well, thank you so much. Time for us to take a break right now. And it is clear there are a lot of people who need our help. And I know there are a lot of generous viewers who would like to know what they can do to help. We'll have ways that you can do that coming up in two minutes. Welcome back to Straight Talk. I'm Laurel Porter. We're talking about homelessness in the metro area, the progress being made to get people housed, and how you can help this holiday season. Welcome once again to my guests, Multnomah County Chair Deborah Kafori, Stacy Bort from Transition Projects, and Mercedes Elizalde from Central City Concern. Thank you again for being here on Straight Talk. And before we get back to our discussion on homelessness and how people can help, I did have a couple of questions for Chair Kafori. You aren't able to run again as Multnomah County Chair because of term limits, and a number of candidates have stepped forward, including some of your fellow commissioners. Are you endorsing anyone to be the next chair? Um, not yet. I, I believe we have a, numerous very talented and able candidates. And since uh, three of them are on my commission, trying to choose between them at this point uh, would be both difficult and probably politically painful. So um, at this point, I, I'm, not, I'm not weighing in. Do you think you might, though, closer to the election? Sure, um, there's always a good chance of that. And especially after May, if um, because there's so many candidates, chances are that there will be two in a runoff. And, you know, depending on who those two are, it's very likely that I that I could get involved at that point. And since you can't run for reelection and you told us last time you were on straight talk, you're not running for governor. What are your future plans? That is a million dollar question right there. Um, I. I am really focused right now on this next year. Um, as, as, as this segment is about, there are a lot of issues right now in our community that need my attention. Uh, the voters of Multnomah County voted me to serve in this role and giving um, these very important issues, um, helping people get into housing. Um, we're building a bunch of new libraries in our community. We've got um, a courthouse, a new courthouse that we still haven't had our grand opening for. And then, of course, uh, preschool for all, those dollars are, are going to come online. And we know that child care and preschool are crucial for the future of our residents. So there's a lot of work to be done this next year. And that's what I'm going to be focused on. You have a lot of work. And I know you've been working really hard, but can you give us any idea? I mean, are you going to take some time off? Do you think you'll run for office again? Uh, can you give a, a range of ideas? Um, well, I, I definitely am going to take a vacation that seems to be uh, missing from my life. Um, but, you know, I've, I've been in public service all my life. It's 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 a family tradition, a long honored family tradition of ours. So I'm sure in, that whatever I'm going to be doing next will involve uh, serving our community. Well, let me bring Mercedes and Stacy back in. Uh, let's talk about what you might have learned during the pandemic and, and how it might help you prepare for the future and your future response. Mercedes, what what can you tell us? Yeah, I would say two things. Um, one, telehealth and the other, uh, making sure we have good economic investments in folks. So, you know, Central City Concern did not do telehealth before the pandemic. And in a matter of weeks, we stood up an entire 
a program serving thousands of people every month, and we really hope to be able to maintain that flexibility going forward. We're engaging in advocacy at the federal and state level to ensure that. And then the other piece, we started taking a look at our internal data. You know, Central City has three core services, housing, healthcare, and employment. And what we found is that when someone is engaged in all three services, they're seven times more likely to have a permanent housing placement and complete a treatment program. That employment piece is really critical to that long-term stability. And so we're really looking at how do we continue to encourage co-enrollment strategies, not just within Central City Concern, but within our community and the broader investments that we're making. And Stacey, what have you learned at Transition Projects? I think one of the most interesting things we've learned uh, over the last couple of years during this pandemic is the opportunity uh, that we've seen in our motel shelters that were opened um, as a response to serving people who are staying in congregate settings who are, have the highest risk for uh, COVID or serious complications related to COVID. And partnering with Central City Concern, we operate an on-site health clinic at one of the motel shelters. And this program is infused with services. It's infused with housing, uh, wellness supports, and an on-site health clinic that is helping people meet their immediate needs, figure out what's next, engage in other types of care, and transition into housing. And this, this step for many folks who have really complicated health issues, I think has proved to be one of the biggest indicators that when you bring services to people, you infuse programs with the necessary wraparound services that, that people can and will transition to housing and that housing will be stable. We have just a couple of minutes left, but I did want to let people know some ways they can help. The holidays are upon us. People are in the giving spirit. Stacy, what are some of the ways people can help transition projects? So there are many ways, uh, certainly giving, which is something I think that we are all um, thinking about now and year round. Uh, Transition Projects is one of a number of exceptional organizations featured in the Give Guide. So you can check us out there. The other opportunity is to volunteer time. Transition Projects is one of a couple uh, providers that operate severe weather shelters. So when nights get really cold and really snowy and they become life-threatening for folks who are sleeping unsheltered, we open in partnership with Multnomah County and the city of Portland, we open severe weather shelters to help people come inside. We need volunteers to help make that happen. And that's set up, it's operating the shelters and it's closing down. That's a really great way to participate. And then also doing clothing drives and gear drives to help get those really critical items to folks who are sleeping unsheltered or in shelter today. And if you check out their website, there are also prizes and incentives too. Mercedes, what are ways our viewers can help Central City Concern? Yeah, we have two um, great campaigns going on right now. Um, our Recycling Reuse Operations Center, The Rock, is collecting donations of kitchen gear, utensils, plates, pots and pans, you know, help somebody set up their apartment when they're first moving in. And then we also have the Holiday Wish Program where you can support a family in making their holiday special. And you can find uh, information on those on our website or on our Facebook page. And we also have another website that includes many other ways that you can donate this holiday season to places like Blanchet House, 
Impact Northwest, the Union Gospel Mission, all kinds of other organizations. It's a great way to make a difference. It's 211info.org slash donations. I want to give Chair Kafori, Chair, we have a little over a minute, so um, I wanted to go back to you and, and get some final thoughts from you that you'd like to share when people, as I mentioned at the top of the show, people look around, some of the people who are, are donating to people for Portland, and they see so many people that are unhoused. What do you want to tell them about what you're doing? What final message do you want to leave them with? I, I would just want, want people to know that um, that I understand that people are frustrated. I think that we, we're all frustrated with what's happening and we're, we're now frustrated again because we hear that we might not be through this uh, COVID um, nightmare. We've now got the Omicron variant out there. But I think um, I get up each morning and I'm filled with hope because I think that this, the supportive services measure that the voters were, were so smart to pass even in the middle of COVID um, is, a, is a game changer. We are going to be able to um, put 1,300 households into, into permanent housing this year. Um, the measure is not about constructing new housing. People think this is a long-term plan. It's not a long-term plan. Um, constructing housing, which is crucial, takes years. This is about getting people into existing homes quickly, sometimes within a week. Chair Kafori, thank you. Mercedes, Stacy, thank you so much. And thank you for watching and listening. Remember, you can get Straight Talk as a podcast. Search for KGW Straight Talk wherever you get your podcasts. Join us next week. My guest is Portland City Commissioner Dan Ryan. We'll see you next week for Straight Talk. Have a great week.